looked at myself again, shook my head at the hopelessness of it all, and heartily wished I had never come here. Of course, I could always bolt, but even that would not be straightforward. An island, for Christ's sake! What had I been thinking of? Sanctuary, I suppose, somewhere out of the way and safe. But also, I saw now, somewhere from which it would be difficult to make a quick exit. More rapping at the door, fast and impatient this time. Coming, I shouted, in what I hoped was a light-hearted tone. I opened the door and found the same woman as before. She stared at me with a look that suggested surprise that I had spent so long to accomplish so little. I found Morgan in his office, seated at his desk, which faced a large window giving onto the spacious front lawns of the hospital. I could well understand how someone might like to look up from his work at such a capital view, but it struck me as odd that a man who must have many visitors should choose to have his back to them when they entered. I stood just inside the door, looking at that back, ill at ease. He had heard the maid introduce me. He knew I was there. It occurred to me that this might be the purpose of the desk's position— to establish some feeling of superiority over any new arrival. The man was a psychiatrist, after all. A good minute elapsed, and I thought of clearing my throat to remind him of my presence, although I know a dramatic pause when I come across one, and to wait for my cue before speaking out of turn. So I held my position, all the while conscious of the sweat leaking from my armpits, and worrying that it must eventually penetrate my jacket. I did not know if I had another. There was complete silence, except for the occasional echo of a distant door banging its neglect, and the leisurely scratch of the doctor's pen as he carried on writing. I decided I would count to a hundred, and then, if he still hadn't spoken, break the silence myself. I had reached eighty-four when he threw the pen aside, twirled around in his swivel chair, and propelled himself from it in almost the same movement. Ah, Dr. Shepherd, I presume. He strode over to me, grabbed my right hand, and shook it with surprising vigor for a man who I saw now was dapper, by which I mean both short in stature and fussily turned out. He had a thin, ornamental little mustache, like a dandified Frenchman, and every hair on his salt-and-pepper head seemed to have been arranged individually, with great care. He had spent a good deal more time on his toilette than I had had means or opportunity to do on mine, and I felt embarrassed at the contrast. Yes, sir. I found myself smiling in spite of my trepidation at the coming audition, my sodden armpits and the state of my face. It was impossible not to, since he was grinning broadly. His cheerful demeanor lifted my spirits a little. It was so greatly at odds with the gloominess of the building. Finally releasing my hand, which I was glad of, as his firm grip had made me realize it must have been badly bruised in the accident, he stretched out his arms in an expansive gesture. Well, what do you think, eh? I assumed he was referring to the vista outside, so 
casting an appraising eye out the window, said, It's certainly a most pleasant view, sir. View? He dropped his arms, and the way they hung limp at his sides seemed to express disappointment. He followed my gaze, as if he had only just realized the window was there, and then turned back to me. View? Why, it's nothing to the views we had back in Connecticut, and we never even looked at them. I did not know what to make of this, except that I had come to a madhouse, and that if the inmates should prove insane in any degree relative to the doctors, or at least the head doctor, then they would be lunatics indeed. "'Wasn't talking about the view, man,' he went on. "'You're not here to look at views. I mean the whole place. Is it not magnificent?' I winced at my own stupidity and found myself mumbling in a way that served only...